Next, this month's special series, Focus on Heart Health. Throughout the month of February, ReachMD talks with experts about new medications, technologies, and treatment guidelines in cardiac care. If you're looking for a reason to sleep longer, then you'll be happy to hear that persons with shorter average sleep duration are more likely to develop calcification of the coronary arteries. Welcome to a special segment of Focus on Heart Health on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Larry Kaskill, and my guest today is Dr. Diane Lauderdale, an Associate Professor of Health Studies at the University of Chicago Medical Center, and we're going to talk about the relationship between cardiovascular disease and sleep duration. Dr. Lauderdale, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Well, I know you did a study on trying to figure out what happens when we sleep or don't sleep. Tell me a little bit about why you even thought of doing it. There's been a lot of interest recently in how sleep might be related to health. Specifically, the aspect of sleep that we were interested in is how long people sleep. That research had uncovered a number of possible relationships, and we've also found that there are some unexpected predictors of how much people sleep as well as some health consequences. Now, because some of those predictors and some of those consequences have been implicated as risk factors for coronary artery disease, such as obesity, lower socioeconomic status, poor glucose metabolism, hypertension, we decided we would look at whether there was a relationship between how much people slept and this preclinical marker of coronary artery disease, coronary artery calcification. Okay. And so tell me a little bit about the study, how it was conducted, how long it lasted. We measured sleep duration using a little risk device called an actigraph mm-hmm. that's like a super pedometer. It works in all directions, unlike a pedometer. People wear it on their wrist. It looks like a wristwatch without a face, and they can wear it 24 hours. So We didn't have to rely for our measure of how much people were sleeping on their estimate of how much they usually slept. We had an actual measurement, and we measured it for several days. Then we had a five-year CT exams to determine whether they had coronary artery calcification that were five years apart. And we followed everybody that had no evidence of calcification at the baseline exam, and all these people were in their 40s. Mm-hmm. And then we looked at how many of them had developed some evidence of calcification five years later, which was about 12% of them. The 40s are a time when a lot of people have the first evidence of coronary artery disease. Now, is there a normal progression of coronary calcification that occurs no matter how old you are? Once some calcification is detected, it almost always increases over time but there's a great deal of variability in when or whether people have evidence of calcification. It's relatively uncommon before age 40. So what did you actually find in your study? We found that the measured sleep was not very long. The average measured sleep was about six hours. Mm -hmm. The people who were measured as sleeping six hours generally thought they were sleeping closer to seven hours. They weren't very good at estimating it. So I need to tell you that because the whole calibration is off what you might be thinking of as your sleep. So the people who we measured as sleeping five hours or less 27% of them had new calcification over the course of five years. The people who we measured in the middle, the average amount, which was five to seven hours, 
11% of them had new calcification. And the people who actually slept seven hours or more, which was really not all that many, mm-hmm. only 6% of them had new calcification. So there's a really strong gradient by measured sleep. And I assume that the scans were done on the same machine five years later? This was part of an ongoing cardiovascular cohort that's funded by the National Heart, Lung, and Blood Institute, the CARDIA study. Mm -hmm. It was an ancillary or sub-study that was just done at one of the four sites, but the parent study has very, very good data calibration and consistent methods over time. What else is CARDIA looking at besides if this was just one aspect of it? The larger study has produced hundreds and hundreds of articles over the past 20 years. It was started in 1985 Mm -hmm. when the participants were aged 18 to 30, and it was really designed to look at the development of cardiac risk in young adults. They've looked at predictors of weight gain, of calcification, of hypertension, of diabetes. It's a large study of about 4,000 people so that they've had adequate numbers to look at so many different things at this point. As I said, hundreds of articles. Our ancillary study, its contribution was the sleep measurement. So we could relate the sleep measurement to any of the other things that they were already observing over time. And they have, in general, re-examined everyone in their cohort every five years. If you've just tuned in, you're listening to a special segment, Focus on Heart Health, on ReachMD, Channel for Medical Professionals. I'm Dr. Larry Kaskill. My guest today is Dr. Diane Lauderdale, an associate professor of health studies at the University of Chicago Medical Center. And we're talking about the relationship that exists between cardiovascular disease and sleep duration. Dr. Lauderdale, did you come up with any explanations for why you think less sleep can cause cardiac calcifications. I know that in patients with sleep apnea, that's considered an oxidative stress disorder, and there might be some endothelial dysfunction and sympathetic overactivity. All of those are kind of bantered about as potential mechanisms that can contribute to heart disease. Do you have any of your own? Well, first of all, I should say, we did not expect to find as strong an association as we did find in the first place. And and then we had a lot of data from Cardia to investigate possible mechanisms. So we thought it might be due to obesity. We thought it might be due to inflammatory response or markers of the immune system. We thought it might be due to hypertension. And we had the data to investigate in a statistical fashion mm-hmm. whether those different other dimensions of health seem to be explaining the association. To our surprise, none of them did. So we adjusted for everything that was there, for everything that goes into the Framingham Risk Score, really for like 20 different potential mechanisms, and none of them had much effect at all on the strength of the association between the sleep duration and the incident calcification. I know you just were measuring the amount of time they were sleeping, but was there any measurements in terms of if their blood pressure was dipping like most people's do during the night, or were they perhaps non-dipping because they were having poor sleep or not enough sleep? Well, yes, you have just come up with what is one of our favorite hypotheses about what's explaining this, but that we did not have data to address. Mm -hmm. So like most cohort studies, blood pressure was, of course, measured when people were awake. And we don't know whether people had a dip, how deep it was, how long it was. And so it is possible that the mechanism is blood pressure and that the people who slept less had, over the course of 24 hours, higher average blood pressure because they didn't have as deep or long a dip during the night since they were sleeping less. 
And so we wouldn't necessarily see that in a daytime blood pressure, which is the way that we could look at how blood pressure might have been a mediator. And so that's still possible. That could be the explanation. So besides being surprised by the findings, what else did the study reveal? Well, we did confirm that other factors that were supposed to predict calcification, like the Framingham risk factors, did indeed predict it. They just didn't affect whether the strength of the sleep association. More broadly, this study has looked at a number of other health changes over the course of five years to see whether they were also related to sleep duration. Was there any difference between men and women? There was a slightly stronger association for women than men. Mm -hmm. Of course, the sample was about half as big when you break it up to look at the sexes separately. So we're a little less confident that that association is a true one as opposed to something we saw by chance than we are about the association altogether for the whole population. But there was a suggestion of a stronger association. And then based on the findings of your study, did you come up with any recommendations? Did you take the leap from this study to, you know, daily life? This is a question that I have been asked. This one study does not really show that this is a causal association. Right. It's hard to establish a causal association from observational studies and certainly not from one single observational study. So we know we've seen a statistical association. We don't know it's a direct causal one. Mm -hmm. It could be because we really don't understand yet very well what different things cause people to sleep different amounts. You know, they could be things about how they live their lives, their social or their economic status, their household structure, or it could be health factors or psychological factors. We just don't know them. I thought it was just money and marriage. <laughs> How so? Well, just worrying about money and chronic marital discord. Well, we did find that people who had lower income did not sleep as well. So mm -hmm. the money part sounds good. The marriage is not so clear. Right. We did actually find that men who were sharing their bed with a partner slept better than men who were not, but it didn't matter for women. Hmm. That's not in this particular publication, but it Interesting. was an odd piece of like information that. we came up with. Yeah. So I'm back to, though, saying that we don't know that this is a direct causal association because there's so little we understand about what factors influence how much people sleep. And frankly, there's a great deal we don't understand about what factors are involved in what pathways that lead to coronary artery disease, even though it's been much, much studied. It's possible that there are some things we haven't yet identified that both influence how much people sleep and also separately and independently influence risk of coronary artery disease. And if that's the case... This is not a direct causal association, and changing your sleep habit wouldn't change your risk of coronary artery disease. So that's possible. We tried to figure out with the data we had whether there were such factors. We didn't identify any, mm -hmm. but it's still possible. So it's premature on the basis of this one study to tell people that you ought to be sleeping so many hours. However, there is, across a lot of different studies, mounting evidence that very short sleep hours probably are implicated in various chronic disease processes. Now, it's really kind of benign recommendation, but I would say it won't hurt reading anyone. that literature, it's a good idea to try to sleep at least six hours a sure. night. That's why I say it's really benign. Right. It won't hurt anyone. And then I'm thinking about the afternoon siesta. If we did this study in another country to see if taking a little nap in the afternoon also would decrease calcifications, that would be an interesting study. It would be. 
We don't have data to address that. So I'd like to talk a little bit just about risk factors because every day in the news there's always a new risk factor. And I think the lay public and even physicians now believe that risk factors are equivalent to risk and that they are the same thing as a disease and that they cause disease and that having more risk factors makes you more diseased. And it's really just a correlation. That's all a risk factor is, is that somebody has found a correlation. Right. It takes a lot of sort of accumulation of evidence and understanding of a mechanism before you can say that it's really causal rather than a statistical correlation. That's correct. So we need to do some sort of study in terms of a follow-up to this to have a control group and a non-control group and it would have to be a large study to actually prove a causal effect. Yes. To truly prove it, you need to assign people to sleep different numbers of hours which would be difficult, although not impossible. It's not like assigning people to something that's known to be harmful, like assigning people to smoke or not smoke or to Mm -hmm. drink heavily and not drink. You could encourage some people to sleep more and, and others leave them alone. And then you could see if that made a difference. But it would be a difficult kind of study to do. It is possible to glean associations that turn out to be causal from a number of observational studies. You just want to see it repeated again and again. I mean, the classic example, the birth of modern epidemiology, was building up evidence from observational studies that smoking caused lung cancer. And that was true, and it was a strong case. You wanted to see it in a lot of different populations in different study designs before you were sure that it was causal. My last question is, in the study, the authors write which I guess would be you, after adjusting for age, sex, race, education, smoking, apnea risk, longer measured sleep duration was associated with reduced calcification incidence. How do you go about adjusting for all those things? Is that a computer program? or? Yeah, you use a logistic regression model where what in effect you're doing is you're creating strata that vary with respect to the adjustment factor. Let's say men and women, and you're making a weighted average of the effect across those strata. So you remove the effect of the correlation of the adjustment factor with both the sleep duration and with the outcome. So it's a statistical technique that's very widely used in clinical research. Well, on that note, thank you very much for coming on the show today. You're welcome. I enjoy talking to you. My guest was Dr. Diane Lauderdale, an associate professor of health studies at the University of Chicago Medical Center, and we were discussing the effect of sleep on coronary calcifications. You've been listening to a special segment focused on heart health on ReachMD, a channel for medical professionals. Please visit our website at ReachMD.com, which features our entire library through on-demand podcasts. And thanks for listening. You've been listening to this month's special series, Focus on Heart Health. For a program guide, complete list of shows, and podcasts, please visit us at ReachMD.com.